Tonight we turn in God's Word to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18, as well as to the back in our hymnals to Lord's Day 41, page 892. The words of that, of that hymn capture it pretty well, uh, to what we want to consider tonight, how we are to be casting out all idols, to be uh, controlling our passions, to be serving the Lord Uh, and finding our contentment in Him, for there is no rest until we rest uh, in Him. Uh, Our hearts forever restless until in You they rest. We are living in a time of uh, dramatic lying where there is much that is said concerning where peace and contentment can be found and what we are... uh, uh, told is that our, our greatest desires, our greatest drives are where we find our peace and contentment, where we find our satisfaction. And no doubt, these are strong desires and strong passions. The Lord uh, created man, uh, and then he said that it was not good for man to be alone, and he created a woman for him, and Adam's response was, this is God's gift. And he made the man for the woman. And we read in Genesis chapter 2 that very uh, strong desire and call there to fill the earth and to subdue it uh, in keeping with uh, these desires that God gave. But what we see in that uh, bringing of the man to the woman is a picture of the intimacy that we are to have, the giving of ourselves uh, uh, to God. And God gives us a partner. God gives us, we could say, even in other relationships, a family of believers that we might help each other on to serve Him, to give ourselves completely to Him. We're told today that our identity uh, is, is found in our sexual desires, uh, our strongest urges, and we don't... Uh, we don't struggle with understanding why they would look there, why unbelieving, uh, unregenerate people would look there. These indeed are strong desires, uh, love for or uh, drive for uh, the other sex, but now we see it being distorted in so many other ways. But God says this uh, intimacy is to be kept in keeping with my boundaries, and it is to be used to help us on to serve God. We are to be uh, His creation. Our identity is this, image bearers of God, being remade, being uh, created for intimate relationship with Him. So the law reveals the depth of our sin. It says there is not a place in us that can be, uh, that is unaffected. We say, oh, I can look at my, my deepest desires, my, my strongest urges, my purest being, as the culture would say today. I can look within. And so it says, look within and find there your strongest desire. Know that if you fill that strongest desire, fulfill that strongest desire, you will certainly find satisfaction and contentment. And God says, no. No, not until you understand that you are made for me and that even this most intimate of relationships, indeed, this most intimate of relationships, the sexual union of husband and wife, of man and woman, points to that intimacy that we are to have with God. 
When we love ourselves more than we love God, there is any number of idols that we will create. We've just sung that, cast out all those idols, all those, those helpless, uh, hopeless, meaningless uh, things that we set before us that would turn us from God. They cannot give us contentment and satisfaction. When we've come to serve our own hearts, we look for all the wrong things in the relationships around us, even those closest to us. And we try to foist upon marriage or redefine marriage in a way that really is satisfying what we think will be for our best. Instead of saying, Lord, we submit ourselves to what you have created for us. When Adam and Eve were driven from the garden, what they learned was the consequence of sin was a breaking of that fellowship, that deep and uh, needful fellowship. They were no longer in paradise, and the perversion of the heart was seen very quickly. There was a turning from God. There was the first murderer in Cain uh, versus over against his brother Abel. And we see the first polygamist, Lamech, declaring that he would take two wives and live in keeping with his own ideas. Sin destroyed beautiful relationship, and Adam and Eve saw that they were broken in relationship to God and with each other. Brings all kinds of confusion, doesn't it? Sin brings all kinds of confusion. It sets up before us this great expectation. Well, if you just do this and you do enough of it or you pursue it passionately enough, then it will provide satisfaction. And God says, no. No, there is only true satisfaction in me. And as the people enter the land, God says, I will have a people for myself and they will live in purity, they will show the world what it looks like to be living uh, with a focus, with a satisfaction in the true place. The book of Leviticus lays out these purity laws again, and speaks against sexual immorality. God is redeeming the people for himself. And he sets before them in Leviticus 18, 19, and 20 many of the commands that we could look at this evening concerning sexual purity but we will see it summarized here in verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we read, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not act unfaithfully, a wrongful, unchaste urge, which is a unlawful expression of the sexual impulse. Listen to what the catechism says. What is God's will for us in that seventh commandment? That God condemns all unchastity, that unlawful expression, Of the sexual urge, and that we should therefore detest it wholeheartedly and live decent and chaste lives within or outside of the holy state of marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? The answer we are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts or desires and whatever may incite someone to them. Don't think I need to say that we are in a world that does just that, incites us to all unchastity, to all uh, expression of sexual immorality in actions, looks, talk, thoughts, desires, to urge us to that. We are those who are, however, redeemed by the Lord and called to purity in life. How we are to live is laid clear 
before us. Well, what is forbidden first off this evening in this seventh commandment? We read that God brought the woman to man and immediately he saw in her the perfect helper to fulfill the commandment of the Lord and a helper who was to point him to live for the Lord. They were naked and they had no shame. They could lay themselves before one another fully without any uh, shame because they had a common purpose and that was to serve the Lord. They had not their own notion of what this relationship was. Was it, well, how was it for me? How was it for you in the sense of how are we, uh, uh, to, what are we to get out of it individually? But rather, how are we to serve the two becoming one that together we might help each other on to live for the Lord. There was warning given then in God's command in Leviticus to this people that down through the ages God covenanted with the people and he said as you enter into the promised land you have that same paradigm as you walk into a world where there's going to be all manner of sexual immorality, all manner of sexual unfaithfulness. You are not to act unfaithfully not to commit adultery in whatever uh, expression you may see in the culture. And this is a reflection that you serve me and that you are created for me. And the world needs to see that in the church. As we saw in Psalm 26 tonight, psalmist is committed to walk in a way of integrity. What is it that God has for me? Then I will walk in that for I truly love God above all else and want to live in all purity before him. For us to understand the distortion of the sexual relationship, we need to understand the purpose for which it was given. In part, it's given to express unity and service to God, to remind the man and the woman that they lived as one, to worship and serve God. Sexual desire was given by God. It is good, but sexual desire can be twisted and has been twisted beyond where we perhaps thought it could go. God warns that if man turns his back, Romans chapter 1, and and lives in all manner of unrighteousness, then he will turn them over to that which is unnatural, to that which wouldn't even be thought of previous. And we see that all around us. We know in our hearts that we've sinned against God and that we are unacceptable to him. We have that notion of shame, and there is the grace of shame, as one has put it. There is something Uh, good that God gives in shame, that we know sin when we commit it and that we are ashamed of it. We know that we must come to him and confess that, that he might remind us of the forgiveness that is to be found in him and the call to purity of life. God has made clear that he's done something to cover our sin. He sent his son to cover over our unrighteousness, to cover over our shame, that we might be accepted by him. That one day he will complete his glorious work and we will be living unashamedly before him. The psalmist says this, and that verse just kept coming to mind as I was preparing uh, this sermon this week. Psalm 73, where the psalmist says, For me it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge. That, in effect, dear people of God, is what we are are doing and saying to the world it is good to be near to God it is good to make him our refuge that in our living in all of our living spiritually and physically 
We are living in all purity before him. It is good to be near God, to make the Lord God our refuge. The institution of marriage speaks of commitment. It speaks of living in covenant, lifelong partnership. We vow to give ourselves to each other, to help each other live for God. That deepest expression then shows that we are giving ourselves fully. Marriage is defined as total commitment of the total person for all for a lifelong partnership. We want to show what that looks like. In the, uh, the coming of no-fault divorce, we saw all manner of, of personal expression enter into marriage. It was there before, but it was now made lawful. It was okay. Well, you don't have to explain why you wanted to break uh, the marriage bond, but now you could. It was lawful. and we, So we thought, well, if the law says it's okay, then I'm not sinning, or at least we told ourselves that. Yet God says no. Marriage is for life. We don't live into a relationship such as this, sharing ourselves in the deepest sense, and then say, well, this isn't for me anymore. It's not, it's not doing what I want. It's not giving me what I want from the marriage. There was much expressive individualism uh, that came in, or that was exposed, if you will, in the coming of that, of that practice of no-fault divorce. And what we saw was that hearts were exposed. What, what were people thinking? They were thinking that marriage is a bond until it doesn't give me what I want in the relationship. But in marriage, we are reminded that we give ourselves completely, totally to each other, even as we are to give ourselves completely and totally to God. We don't do this with everyone. That, that, that the point of marriage is that this is a commitment, a, 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 a very uh, deep relationship to then speak of the fact that we don't give ourselves totally and completely to any and every God or idea or notion that comes along. We are those who are solely committed to the Lord God. And he says, you are not to have any other gods before me. Those gods will not provide for you what you deeply desire, which is relationship with me, for we were created for that. Totally committed to each other, to point each other to exclusive love to God. That is why God condemns unchastity, sexual immorality, for it teaches a lie. It says that we can serve two masters, that we can find satisfaction in something other than God, But it's very clear in the catechism what the scripture teaches. It summarizes it this way. We are to, we are to reject any unlawful expression of the sexual, the sexual appetite and live consecrated lives to God. That's true whether married or unmarried. That deepest desire, the deepest part of us, is to be submitted to God in all purity, in all chastity. When Israel prepared to enter Canaan, God reminded them that they were his In Canaan, they worshipped many gods and practiced many immoral, uh, they had many immoral practices. The Lord reminded them, you are not to forget my word, you are not to forget my command, for you are a people called out, holy to the Lord, 
to know the joy of being intimately connected to me. They were not to adulterously serve these other gods. They were to keep to the Lord and to him alone. And if they did not, they would be put under the curse of death. Leviticus tells us that. Well, nothing changed in the, it changes in the New Testament in the sense of that warning, that uh, curse that's laid out there. <clears throat> We're reminded that our whole selves are being given to God, body and soul. First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says that very clearly to the Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 6, he says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Don't act as those around you. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. A few verses earlier, he says this, Do not be deceived. Those who practice unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, and so on. They were those who had been washed, those who had been turned away from that way of looking at uh, the former life. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. No longer to live that way. Paul says to the Ephesians something very similar. Uh, In in, in fact, uh, the same wording he gives to the Ephesians when he says this, sexual immorality, all impurity, none of this must be even named among you. It must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. States it again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, looking at what the word of God teaches regarding purity. For the will of God is this, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. God's will is that we be sanctified, that we live, as the catechism has summarized it, in the holy state of marriage. Biblical marriage gives that picture of exclusive love, total commitment to God, even as we commit to one another. When marriage is redefined, when it is profaned in our culture, no longer holds the position that God wants for it. And that's why he holds marriage so highly. He says it is to point to that intimacy, to that that exclusive love and commitment to me. The culture wants to destroy marriage. The institution can be made into whatever man wants, then consciences are dulled. If we can legalize sin, then we say, well, it's lawful. But we dare not follow after that which is against God's holy command, no matter who makes the law. In sending his son, God uses the imagery 
of the bridegroom and the bride. He calls his son the bridegroom, came to sanctify his bride. He gave himself up for his bride. Why? Because he understood loving relationship. He loved his father supremely and came to point all people to his father and the sole place for life and for the fulfillment of our deepest longing, that longing of being accepted, of being loved. It can be said that Christ knew the truest and deepest joy in life, though he was never married, though he did not experience sexual intimacy. That is not what completes us. We're created for intimacy with God. He knew his Father in that deepest, most intimate sense, loving him above all else, knowing that true satisfaction was found in living for him. Young people and singles, uh, widowed, You're not missing out on the deepest joy of life. The deepest joy of life is to know a closeness to God. It is to be pursuing deep relationship with God. As the psalmist says, as for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my refuge. He is my satisfaction. The world says happiness is achieved through unbounded sexual expression. It says if we engage in sex, look at sexual images, talk about sex, think about sex, desire sex, then we will be happy. We'll know happiness and satisfaction. This commandment declares that God forbids that outside of his parameters. This passionate or this intense expression of sexuality doesn't show a healthy culture but a sick culture a culture that is obsessed it's not a high view of sexuality but an idolatrous obsession driven by the thought that physical pleasure can remove all harmful feelings and deliver us from the great evil which is threatens to destroy us to remove us from that great evil which it, which it labels as sadness for sin. God says no. We are to be sorry for sin. We are to hate sin. To turn from it as we see uh, the catechism laying out what is sanctification. To rejoice in what God calls uh, good. He says I am to hate sin. To find wholehearted joy in God through Christ. And to love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good. Question and answer 90. To be genuinely sorry for sin, to hate it more and more, to run away from it. To draw near to God, to make him our refuge. One more passage where we see how God uh, gives us identity and says, this is who you are. 1 Peter chapter 2. What does he say? He says, I've called you out. To be my people, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does that look like? He says then, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct 
among the Gentiles honorable. Your pilgrims, those who are sojourners, called to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul, to keep conduct honorable before the Lord. It's not the first age where sexual passions have run rampant, this age that we live in. We read of Paul's words to the Corinthians and his words to the Ephesians. Just remind us again of what Ephesians 5 said. It says there, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity is the wording there. It's not just actions that are condemned, but pornography and sexting and all of the rest, forbidden. Discipline is part of God's sanctifying work in you. We looked yesterday as men in the church at the new Reformation Catechism on Human Sexuality and it warns of the destructive nature of pornography. It is destroying. It is destroying intimacy. It's objectifying people instead of building up community. It is setting before us lust rather than love. It is idolizing lust, satisfying lust instead of pressing through to that which is deeper and provides commitment uh, and greater involvement, which is love. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we avoid these things? Well, there are practical ways that we can avoid this. Take the app off your phone that brings you to those sites that lead you to lust. Remove the bookmark from your web browser that brings you to that site that would lead you to lust. One has said the eye is the window through which impure images shine on the heart. Or if the eye is set upon the things of God, it lets in the light. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. Jesus said, if you... Lust after another, you've already committed sin with that one in your heart. He's saying it does matter what your thought life is as well as what you do in your actions. Maybe make the homepage on your computer. If you need such a thing, just simply a web browser, a, a search bar, not putting pictures or podcasts or blog posts that could ambush you to look somewhere else. Get rid of those songs on playlists that lead you to impure thoughts for another person, just ways in which we can live in light of this command, ways that we have to fight today. It's what it looks like. These actions are actions that we can take, but there's something else that must be in us. What is pointed to in this commandment? You must set your eyes upon Christ. There is provision For sin, the one who has delivered us. Consider his love for the Father. How he has loved you so much that he's laid down his life for you. To deliver you from these passions. From these things which would lead you astray. And lead you away from God. And from your commitment to him. Consider the joy. The thought of being restored to his Father that he had. And pray that God would give you that joy that you might draw near to God, making him your refuge, your fortress. Consider that love that Jesus had. 
coming into the world to seek lost sinners like you and I to bring us to God. To remind us that our greatest satisfaction is only found or is found in God. He loves the sinner and wants all to know the goodness of God, to find our deepest longing satisfied in him. He wants us to be able to say, your love, O Lord, is better than life, as the psalmist says, better than anything the world can ever give. The psalmist says that, what is there on earth that I desire more than you or besides you? You, O God, are my strength, my portion forever. hunger for intimacy is our deepest, deepest desire, which can only be satisfied as we draw near to God. Augustine's words are these, our hearts are restless until we rest in you, O Lord. We heard it in that hymn that we sang, and it is so true. Augustine wrestled with that sexual purity, wrestled with much sexual sin, and he understood that his deepest longing could only be satisfied in God, drawing near to him. I thought of the words of that hymn. I love to tell the story. Those words, I love to tell the story because I know it is true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. That's our prayer. That ought to be our deepest prayer, is that our desire to speak of God and his love for us as we think about how he has delivered us and brought us from that which would seek to destroy us and overpower us, that that would bring us deep satisfaction and joy. In his trouble, the psalmist cried out to the Lord. And his concerns were heard by the Lord. And he made that expression, that confession, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. That's our true home. That is to be our deepest longing, to speak of God and of his deeds, that he's reconciled us, that we're fully accepted in him, fully loved by him, and that we find our deepest joy in pointing to him. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray for purity and for commitment and for focus, we pray that we would set our minds on things above where Christ is, seated at your right hand, where he is interceding for us, our champion, the one who has won the fight the one who has called us to all purity. As we look to him, we hear that command to put to death whatever is earthly in us, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, to put on purity, to put on that one desire to serve you. Lord, help us. Help our young people who are under attack through so many ways by technology that we were not as young people. Help them to remain pure. Help them to find accountability where needed. Help us, Lord, to not be ashamed to speak of, of these things and to point people 
or to be ashamed to speak of the need that we have to point people to you. Lord, together, may we strive to live for you. And in our purity, may we find joy. May we understand the greatest expressions that we have in life are but a shadow of that deeper, that deeper relationship that we have with you. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.